Hello and welcome to the Psychic Stories podcast, encouraging conversations about mental health. Today I'm speaking to Melissa Rolfs. Melissa runs Free to Be Coaching, offering help to women to end emotional eating and sugar binging so that they feel, can feel comfortable and confident in their bodies and be set free from the food struggle. Melissa, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. You're very welcome. And good morning from yes. Arizona. Thank you. And good evening to you <laughs> from Arizona. <laughs> yes, I hear. Yes, it's, uh, and, I, and I hear from our previous chats, it is, it is equally cold over there as it is here. Sadly, so, yes. And what we're going to be talking about is when it's cold, we all reach for the sugar tin. So the goal of this is to have an open and honest conversation about your mental health journey, to get some insight into the tools and techniques that have helped you and are available and accessible to other people. And by discussing your journey, we hope to share and normalize conversations about mental health, as often people are not alone in these experiences. Sound good? That sounds great. And I think it's so needed. So thank you. Oh, cool. Pleasure. Right. So over to you. We'd love to hear about your mental health journey. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, mental health is a really interesting phrase because I think there's a lot of things that go with it, a lot of assumptions, a lot of judgment. Um, and for me, I guess my journey, the long and short of it is that about 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with PTSD from childhood trauma. And because I think of the mental health isn't very much talked about and there's somewhat of a stigma around it, if you will. But I had always thought that PTSD was only for people in military. So I was confused. How could I have this? I wasn't in the military. So it took me doing a deep dive and researching and kind of connecting the dots. And I think that's kind of where it all came full circle, Matt, because I tried Prozac. It didn't work. And I'm not saying that that doesn't work for everybody. We're all different. We're all unique. What works for one doesn't work for all. But because it didn't work for me, it caused me to search out other avenues. So I went down a more holistic route and met with a naturopath who took my blood levels, my urine levels, my saliva levels, and everything was in the toilet and didn't realize the impact that food had on mental health. I had obviously always associated food with weight, but I didn't realize it impacted every area of health. And so through my journey, discovered the power of supplementation. Mm. And so this naturopath put me on lots of supplements, lots of vitamins, and I improved. I continued with therapy. That's where I was diagnosed with the PTSD was with a therapist. Um, so kind of took this alternative route, if you will, and improved. I was doing better. And then shortly after that decided... And I think this was a big part of the journey, decided that I was worth taking care of and that maybe it was time to work on my physical health because I had been eating a lot of sugar and living off of diet sodas and just processed food and wasn't really nourishing myself. And so once I learned about a whole foods way of eating and really started to change my relationship with food. I even saw more of a difference in my energy levels and my mindset was more clear. The brain fog was gone. Um, just was more of the mom and the wife and the woman that I wanted to be for my yeah. family that I knew that they needed me to be. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't as angry. Like it was just such a, a change that I was like, more people need to be aware yeah. of the impact that food has on, on mood and mental health because it's huge. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and just taking a step back. So you were diagnosed with PTSD from an early childhood trauma. Now I won't ask you if you want to talk about it, that's great, but I won't ask you to go into detail if you're not comfortable, but from that period, you know, how, you know, what did life, what did life feel like for you then um you said you were eating in a in a in, in a way that that wasn't you know sustainable or healthy for yourself what, what what emotions were going on in your head that you perhaps didn't understand at the time yeah that's a great question and I'm an open book I believe that sharing my story and finding freedom helps other people find freedom as well so I'm happy to share what happened my father um, was murdered when I was two. And so that was a key piece of it. I grew up really not ever knowing my father and still to this day, don't, didn't have that opportunity to know who my dad was. So was raised by a single mom who did a great job. She did the best that she could. Um, and I think what was modeled for me because her way of handling the stress and the struggle of being thrust into this single mom life and having a business and doing what she needed to do to provide was to turn to food for comfort. Mm. And so I think that was modeled for me. So I found myself 
turning to food for comfort. I remember going to my grandparents' house and they had a cookie drawer and every day we went to their house, we would have cookies and it was just like our thing. I wasn't hungry. I didn't want a cookie, but it was a habit that was created. Um, and then my mom ended up remarrying and married a man and there was some baggage and some trauma that came with that and just really kind of became a hostile environment. And as a child, I didn't feel like I could express my feelings. My mom was, whenever she would cry, my stepdad would get upset with her. So she would turn to food to kind of stuff those feelings. And I think I just grew up walking on eggshells and feeling very tense and yeah. not really having the freedom to be myself and not knowing what to do with that. And so I stuffed those feelings with food because I didn't, if they came out, it would be a, an explosion probably because there was yeah. so much I had pushed down. Yeah. And I suppose as well, like you're saying, you were watching your mum do the same thing. So it was almost, it was a learned habit. Like there was, yes. there, it, at the time, there was nothing bad about it. It was, oh, this is nice food. I'm just going to eat it, but not necessarily understanding the impact. Cause so, so, so when that tragic and awful event happened, you, how old were you? Um, when my dad died or yeah. two. So you were two. And I mean, that is, an, I mean, that is, I mean, you know, can't even put it into words, the kind of tragedy of that as well. Like, and growing up through from two years old and through to, you know, through your childhood, through puberty, through that very changeable kind of emotional side. I mean, you, you, you can see how those those thoughts and habits would have solidified, you know, and in, in terms of in terms of food, no pun intended, but crystallized into the person you were probably in your early 20s. Right. Absolutely. I, and I remember being like a teenage girl and hiding food in my room and getting in trouble because me hiding food in my room led to mice coming in and there was mouse poop on the bed. And so like just the shame around that, like there were just so many emotions tied in with that, I think that didn't, I didn't have a safe space to process them. So I just kept it inside and operated from this place of shame and guilt and sadness about my dad. Like so many emotions yeah. just were circulating in me. <laughs> yeah. And and I suppose like in, in some respects and in, when you're reaching for that, that, that food, that sugar, that biscuit, whatever it is, like subconsciously things are going on in your head you might be stressed anxious angry um, 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 guilty whatever it is thinking about your father and just reaching for that might at the time consciously be oh, I'm just having a nice little treat but actually what's going on under there is it's nothing to do with the food and it's nothing to do with the sugar it's your body reacting in a way that it feels like it needs it needs to deal with that rather than going through that process like you said of talking therapies which I assume came came much later Absolutely. And I think too, with sugar, it really releases the dopamine in the brain, which yeah. is that feel good chemical. And so the problem with that is when you start eating it, your body craves, craves more of it. And so yeah. it's almost like this vicious cycle of, yeah. I can't get enough. And I remember after I had started kind of my healing journey, if you will, and realizing the impact that food was having on me, I had made brownies and I was, e I was eating a brownie and I was like, I don't feel any different. And it was such a weird feeling because before I would eat the sugar and I would always get this rush and this excitement and this happiness. And I had no feeling connected with the brownie. And so I was like, I need to eat the whole pan to feel what I had felt before. And I tried another bite and I'm like, no, I think, I don't think this is a thing for me anymore. It was so strange. Yeah. And, and I suppose like with that, if you're, if you're eating more and more sugar to, or more and more brownies, for example, to be able to do that, you know, to be able to feel a certain way, you're, you know, and, you know, I've experienced this as well, like your weight's increased and that can lead to, you know, self-confidence, self-esteem, body image, lots of other things, which yep. frankly are nothing to do with, with weight at all. They're to do with these deep-seated feelings that perhaps you haven't acknowledged. Yes. And that's the thing. It's usually not about the food. It's about yeah. what's going on underneath that we haven't dealt with, or we haven't worked through, we haven't acknowledged, whatever that looks and for me, my coping mechanism was food. Some people it's drugs, some people it's alcohol, mine was sugar. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is, is that these, these companies, like you said, sugar is addictive and the companies that create it, they know that. The food's designed in that way, which is why I personally think it's such a scandal. Like- It is. It really is. And it's is. terrible for your immune system. I mean, let's look at that right now. It's terrible for your immune system. Mm. 
but yet it's still legally and freely giving given out at schools and churches and they throw it at you at parades like it it, it makes no sense and uh, yeah, I, 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 I can never really put my finger on it. Like, I think, the, I, think, I think the good thing is that we do have a choice. Well, we have a choice, but are we able to make that choice? Because it is a hard choice. Because these are, when you realise you're eating perhaps too much sugar, and I, you know, for me personally, sugar is a big, you know, I had a big change in my life as well, which is why I think our conversation is fascinating, because I'm fully a full advocate of it. You've you get to that point where you're thinking why people what, what, why is everyone eating all this stuff like yeah it tastes good but like literally what's the point like there's no purpose of putting it in your body it's, it doesn't do anything for your body it only makes it feel worse absolutely and i think though part of that and part of the mental health situation we're in is that we're so disconnected mm. from how we feel and the impact that food has on how we feel and if we really stop and think and look at, okay, if I eat this and I feel this way, why would I keep eating it? Mm. It's almost like those habits or those sabotage, I call them in coaching, there's three main kinds. But I think a lot of times we do things subconsciously because we're looking for approval or validation, yeah. or there's usually some something deeper, like an unmet need. Mm. And, and that's why it's important to go through a process. Like you said, you know, I'd love to talk about your healing journey, but it becomes conscious, doesn't it? You start to really start to every time the thought comes into your head, I want a brownie, I want chocolate, whatever. You know, you start to question, you say, hold on, do I actually want a brownie? As soon as you take that pause and you pause a little bit, actually some other answers start to come up. And then you realize you you forget about the damn brownie. It's something about something over here. Absolutely. Because usually there is something we're looking for in that moment. I mean, a lot of times for me, I've discovered that when I don't feel like life is fun and exciting, oh, well, I'll have something sweet because I'm looking for that sweetness in my life. But when, you know, we can look at the big picture and pause, which I think is something that everybody benefits from is really pausing and stepping back and looking at the bigger picture you can realize where that desire or need is. And then you can find something that is actually meeting the need instead of putting that sugar bandaid on it. Yeah, but, but, but also at the same time, it's recognizing once you've got that, I suppose that control, that self-control, that actually sometimes a brownie does make life sweeter. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I'm enjoy all the brownie. <laughs> yes, absolutely. With no guilt or shame and let's exactly. celebrate. Let's celebrate and enjoy, yeah. but let's not turn to it for emotional or stress or something other than what it's intended to do <laughs> absolutely and, and so 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 talk to us about your your your, your healing journey and especially interested in, in like you said in, in supplementation um i'd be interested to understand from your perspective you know you've you've you, like you said you'll you'll go on to talk about your the supplements that you took and i'd be interested about why you couldn't get that from your day-to-day -day diet or yeah, if you could if you did it's really interesting because I, you know, grew up fairly, I guess, mainstream, if you will. Um, and really, I think to rewind it a little bit, our daughter, I wouldn't, I was diagnosed with PTSD when our son was a newborn and our daughter was two. So our kids are 27 months apart. Wow. But when our daughter was born two years prior, she had really bad colic. And so being a new mom, I was concerned yeah. about her, took her to the pediatrician, and I remember the pediatrician saying, this is something that babies have, she, she'll outgrow it. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, this is not acceptable. Like there is a reason yeah. my child is crying and I'm gonna figure it out with or without your help. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and a friend suggested taking her to the chiropractor, which I wasn't familiar with chiropractic mm -hmm. and I associated it with being in an accident, having back pain. So it seemed really strange to me to take a baby to a chiropractor, but we were desperate. She was colicky and yeah. we were tired. <laughs> uh, well, and, and that's it with, with colic. And I, I, I can empathize on this. My daughter had colic for the first three months when our National Health Service describes it as unexplained crying. That is the most useless piece of advice any yep. parent could want. It's, ter <laughs> yes. it's terrible. And like you, we took her to a chiropractor. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear your experience from that. Yeah, it was mind blowing because our daughter was born via C-section. Mm. Um, so part of that, the chiropractor explained was she didn't have the opportunity to go through the birth canal. So her, um, 
pressures, the pressures in our body didn't stabilize. So essentially, if you have a C-section versus a vaginal birth, it's like being dropped out of an airplane at 30,000 feet and the yeah. pressures just are all over. Yeah. And, so and not only did we... And just on that point, yeah. likewise, it's like talking to my to to my to my doppelganger. We also, my mom and wife also have a C-section, and I can I can guarantee having sitting at the top end that that the 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 the, the speed in which the baby comes out from the pressure inside the womb to to atmospheric pressure is incredibly fast. You're talking seconds. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So not only did we do chiropractic, but we did craniosacral therapy as well. Yeah. Um, and so the chiropractor was the one who suggested she could have an issue with dairy, maybe cut dairy out of your diet, maybe see how she does without dairy. And that was kind of, I think my first wake up call. Um, so, you know, being the mom that I was, I cut out the dairy. We did the craniosacral therapy, the chiropractic call. It got better. Wow. That's great. Really? Wow. Didn't I, change I wish me, we, really. I wish we knew that. <laughs> yeah. It, di it didn't really change me because once I was done nursing her, I went back to eating, yeah. you know, my normal things. Um, and then I think when our son was born is when it really kind of hit the fan because my husband was traveling for work and we had this new baby who wasn't sleeping. He wasn't colicky, but he wasn't sleeping. So tough. And this two-year-old who had undiagnosed food allergies, yeah. sensory processing disorder, didn't know this. We just thought she was more of a whiny, sensitive child. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was all around that time where I was diagnosed with the PTSD. We figured out the food allergies. We figured out the sensory processing stuff. And everything just kind of came full circle if you will. Um, but for my healing journey, I think the piece with the chiropractor and our daughter is kind of where I started to realize, you know what, maybe there is a better way than what I grew up with. Mm. And maybe there is an alternative way around this. And that's what led me to the holistic doctor, I think, after the Prozac not working. And, and that's a difficult time in itself anyway. I mean, I mean, I have one child. I can't even imagine what two is like. And especially when you, let's say your, your, your partner is traveling, that's an enormous strain on, on you mentally. Um, and you said, and I think it's interesting, we've, we've had several um, um, people come on, come on our show and, 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 and talk about the benefits that they found with medication, but then others didn't find that benefit. So I'd be interested to hear about your, your, your experience with, with the medication, with, with, with Prozac and, and, and why it didn't work for you and, and perhaps, you know, did, did it make things worse? It did make things worse. Um, and I, it might have very well been my mindset, to be honest with you, because I went into it not wanting to try that route at all. Mm. But I remember it got to a point where I'm like, something has to change. And I felt desperate. And so I tried it and it was right before Christmas. And I was just miserable. I was, it was, it was like my baseline amped up 10 times. And it was just, it was not good. <laughs> my mind was foggy. I was crabby. I was irritable. I wanted to be by myself. I didn't want anything to do with anybody. Mm. It was just not, it wasn't me. Yeah. Which is, I mean, yeah. And especially when your, your role is to be a mom, be good, you know, try to look after these kids, trying to be happy. And that must've been very, 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 very difficult. So how long were you on the, on the medication for? Not very long, to be honest with you, because I pretty much could tell I'm like, this isn't working long term. I do not want to feel this way. And I remember some people were like, you need to give it more time. And I was like, yeah, I'm not I'm not willing to give it time. <laughs> but, but I think actually that's a really key insight, because I think a lot of a lot of people um, will say, let you know, um, uh, let it stabilize over a couple of months, three months in the conversations that we've had. If it doesn't work and you know it, then move on to the next thing quickly like don't go on for six months because it's going to be a pretty bad six months and that was my mindset I don't like to waste time and I'm like this is supposed to be helping it's not let's figure it figure this out <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and then and then and then from that period so you so you so you came off the Prozac and then I suppose still had the motivation to and determination to say I still want to I still want to to help myself um, and moved on to more more of a holistic therapy which certainly sounds a little more friendly than Prozac. Yes and it was <laughs> I think what really blew me away was the doctor I was there for like three hours and I felt so cared for yeah. I felt very loved I felt heard 
I feel like she looked at everything and it wasn't just a five minute appointment of, okay, here's your prescription. Let's get you out the door. Like I felt very cared for. And that was important to me because I was so busy caring for everybody else. And I was just broken and needed somebody to help care for me too. So I think that that just made all the difference. And every time I went into the office, I felt accepted and loved. And there was just a hope that I hadn't had before, I think. And it's that, it's that human connection of someone, like you said, someone listening, like, which you, which you don't get from a pill, frankly. Um, you know, there is certainly a place for medication, 100%. We hear that, we, we, we do hear that a lot, but if it doesn't work, often there are some very straightforward things you can do. And often they do involve some element of human connection, uh, which is why this period, especially during pandemics and lockdown is so difficult. Because when people are struggling, you know, those, those connections, not just with friends and family, but to professionals become very difficult. I mean, I think we can get a connection at, at the moment we're recording on our Zoom call across the world. We can get a connection, but we're missing out on a lot. The body language, the, you know, there's something about physical presence which does, does really help. Absolutely. And we're wired for that. I mean, we are, we're created to connect and to be in community and yeah, I think there's a lot to that. So how did, so, okay. So, so from that point, um, you moved on to, you, you recognize that the diet was maybe a big factor. And then you moved on to, and you said like a program of supplementation. Now I'd be interested to, to understand that in, in the context of your kind of your diet at the same time, uh, because because my personal experience is I've taken a lot of supplements and now I want to try and do it through diet because for me, that feels more natural, but I'd be interested to hear your perspective. That's exactly what I did. That was my experience. I remember leaving the doctor's office with like $600 worth of pills thinking, oh my gosh, my husband's going to be so mad because this is such an expensive journey. I think the Prozac was $50. I mean, there was a big price difference and I knew that it was just like a short supply. Um, and it, we ended up moving. So we had been in that city and state for two years. And I remember we moved and I, wasn't able to access that doctor. I mean, I could via the phone. So it was kind of tedious to find the supplements online. And yeah. right around that time was really when I learned about the nutritional side of things. And so transitioned off of the supplements and to the whole foods diet, because my diet was in the trash. I mean, I think mm. my mindset, Matt, was I can eat like crap because I'm supplementing. Absolutely. And it was negating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's a very, it's a strange psychology, isn't it? It's like, I can get away with doing this by doing that. And it, it also goes for exercise. You find as well. It's like, I can eat crap yes. as long as I exercise a lot. And it's like, well, hold on. Like perhaps you don't need to exercise as much if you, if, if your diet is a little more healthy and therefore achieving a bit of balance. So on the supplementation, and I, I'm just intrigued about this point, like what, yeah. what, what kind of supplements are we talking about? They, I remember the brand, they were Metagenics because they were the high grade ones, but I think it was like C and D, um, not anything really crazy out there. Um, I don't even know if I have my paperwork still. But was it things, you know, like your omega three, six and nines, your vitamin B12s, your vitamin D is that kind of approach? You know what it was? Yes. Yep. Cause B12 yeah. was one. There was also one, and this might not be of interest to you because you're a male, but it's chase berry and it's supposed to help with hormones in that time of the month. So that was interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was more like the B12s and the omegas and the D's and the C's. And just, I think it was a really good baseline because I wasn't getting that for my food because I was eating crap. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and did you find that the supplementation did, did, did it help? It did help. It mm. did help a lot. And then I feel like after I got off of the supplementation and started to change my nutrition, that took it up even more so. So that was, that's, I think the gangbusters place to be really. And I'm, I think supplementation is needed. I believe that our food supply is lacking in some things just because of the quality of the environment and the packaging and whatnot. So I'm, I'm not saying don't supplement, but I think most of it, if you can get most of your nutrition from your food, that's the way it's intended to be. And frankly, that's why a supplements is called a supplement, right? It's there to supplement your diet. Whereas, whereas I, you know, I do think, and, and, and perhaps, you know, pe people do take supplements and, you know, so external, you know, ex, you know, external pills, manufactured pills, and also quite expensive pills to, you know, you know, as, as a way, like you said, to negate what they're eating. To, and also, you know, frankly, it's like when you take the Prozac, there's something in that when you take the pill, you think I'm going to feel better. It's very similar for when you take supplementation as well. 
Absolutely. Or I think too, with the diets out there, you know, we're going to try this diet plan and yeah. we, you know, <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's true. Yeah, you, you, it's almost like a, it's almost like um, it embodies a goal in some respect. So moving on to your 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 kind of your whole nutrition, would love to hear a bit more about that. It sounds yeah, a lot, lot more cost effective. Yeah, it has been. And I think, it, you know, it was harder when this whole thing started because part of our journey was realizing our daughter had gluten and dairy intolerances mm. and realizing, hey, she got them from somewhere yours truly right here. Mm. So we went gluten-free and dairy-free and we just did it for the whole family. Cause I wasn't going to be cooking one, like, no, just simplify. So we cut out gluten and dairy. Um, and that was really interesting because I remember thinking, Oh, I'll just try it. Mm. And that made my anxiety worse. I found there is a big connection with anxiety and gluten. Um, mm. who knew, but it's well, true. Yeah, and- but, but it's interesting to understand those connections and also the fact that that connection might be personalized to you. Absolutely. And it's about, we're different. Yeah. And it's about understanding that connection as well. If you feel like there's a connection between gluten and, and anxiety and by removing it, it reduces your anxiety. It's an easy equation, right? Absolutely. Just don't eat it. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and there's so many other alternatives now, thankfully, that it's quite a bit easier than it was. Yeah. And it does seem to be like in the last, I mean, I think 20, 30 years ago, when people talk about, you know, have celiac disease or, you know, say things were, you know, it was impossible to eat out, frankly. Whereas now you go to most good restaurants, you know, from London, every restaurant, you'll have a G next to it. I'm sure you'd yeah. eat the same in Arizona. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay. And and I think I, I think the dairy one's interesting as well, because that's, you know, there's a there's a huge trend, you know, a huge trend over the last few years to go to more alternative milks, which frankly seem a little bit more natural at the same time. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think too, it's just interesting if you step back and think about the way the food is processed. Because if you are drinking milk from a cow that has been given hormones or steroids or antibiotics you're getting that. I mean, you're drinking the milk from the cow. So more than likely, even through the processing, they can't filter everything out. So I just, it's curious to me how much of that could be at play, if mm. any. <laughs> and, and, and how did you, through this period of experimentation, because that's what it is, like, uh, what's, what were your, what were the, in, what were your insights? Did your physical appearance change? Mm-hmm. Um, did your emotional state change? All of the above. It was so interesting because I remember people would say, you've lost weight. What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, but I feel better. Like I just, I was happier. I didn't have the brain fog. I wasn't lethargic. I wasn't anxious. I wasn't depressed. I wasn't up on the couch in fetal position when my husband got home. Cause by the end of the day, I was beat. I was like, Nope, shut down. <laughs> and now he comes home and I'm making dinner and I'm like, Whoa, we've got more time. And yeah, yeah, I think it changed everything. And I didn't realize that that could be from food because it, it doesn't, that's not what we're taught, right? Like we're taught that you eat food to gain weight or to lose weight. But I don't know that you're taught that food can be medicine and that it can be helpful in your healing journey and it impacts every area of your health and life. And I think that's that's a really interesting point, especially when you you say you've got um, soon to be teenage children. You know, I think I think I grew up thinking that food was about putting on weight, playing sport for, you know, from a, in, a, in, a, in a in a very male setting. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of my friends. We talked about food an awful lot. And frankly, I think there's an awful lot of undiagnosed eating disorders in the male population who Absolutely. cover themselves going to the gym and doing ridiculous things. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's really interesting you say that, like, because through that kind of that teenage period where we are being, you know, our bodies are changing and we are becoming more self-conscious, like to equate food with like control or weight, it, it just takes the enjoyment out of it. It does. And that's what I did. I had an eating disorder in high school because I wasn't thin enough. And I think it was that root of not feeling enough. Mm. And so there, there is very much a connection between withholding food and having control. And I think for people who don't feel like they have a lot of control of their lives, like I didn't, <laughs> that was one way to gain control of something. And also it's, it, it's an easy thing to gain control of, isn't it? Because I mean, frankly, you are the one that is putting food into your body. Um, you know, going out and doing exercise and stuff actually does require a little bit of motivation. And actually the motivation levels are very low when you eat, because if you're strongly motivated to not eat because of X, Y, and Z, it can be, unfortunately be very easy to do. Yeah. And, and especially when you're, 
Absolutely. And when you're a teenager and you're at school and you're not at home because you're in activities, it's really easy. <laughs> yeah. I would say it's reinforced as well. Like if you are, like you said, if, if you start losing weight through a starving yourself or, you know, or, 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 or a diet um, and people start commenting on you going, oh, you look great. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, you are being validated. That's what, you know, what you're getting, what you need. Yeah. I got a boyfriend through that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, it, but it's underpinned by a negative behavior. Absolutely. And what message does that send to you as, you know, a young teenager? And what does that do for your mental health? Yeah. And I think as a, for, through the teenage years, if you go through that, and I think, you know, I think we both did, you get to 20 years old. I mean, now I'm, you know, now I'm 35. And, you know, it's only in the last two years that I've managed to unpick my eating issues. And they were, they were the hardest things that I've ever had to, do, to unpick. And the solution, which I didn't even think about was because I tried every diet under the sun. It was just so happened that my, diet got, my um, wife got diagnosed with gestational diabetes. And therefore she was like, okay, I'm not eating sugar. It was Lent at the same time. And I thought, okay, well, may as well give it up at the same time. And during the final six months of her pregnancy, I think I dropped about two stone, but not but but through no effort just not eating the sugar and suddenly you were paying attention (laughs) i was yeah and i suddenly started realizing i was like hold on obviously the stuff that i'm previously putting my body isn't very good for me and i know that's obvious to say like because everyone knows that sugar is bad it just i just wasn't doing it and when i did it and actually the 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 underlying i suppose the underlying psychology relinked my feelings away from food and more to more constructive things talking you know talking about it you know um, some form of talking therapies suddenly there's no need for the food anymore and you 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 get down to a you know a, you know not necessarily it's all about weight but you get down to a a a, a weight that was for me where I looked at myself I was like I'm quite happy with myself now like and it's I'm not yo-yoing anymore I'm just happy absolutely and that's what sugar does, right? I mean, we ride this roller coaster and it impacts our moods. It impacts our desire for more sugar. Our bodies are always trying to balance themselves out. So when we're at the bottom of that crash, we reach for more sugar, looking for that balance. And it just wreaks havoc on every area of our lives. <laughs> and, 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 and in your experience, you know, as with mine, like it really can wreak havoc. Like it can affect relationships it can can affect you know coming into parenthood it can have huge effects on that and then you're putting those habits onto your children which is that's what we don't want so so we're interested to hear from that point of view as a mum how have you how how are you now talking to your kids in terms of how they're you know to help their relationship with food I'm a really big advocate and it doesn't always happen, but I'm, I'm trying to teach our 12 year old, you know what, don't eat in front of the screen, like be mindful Mm. of when you're eating, what you're eating, how it tastes. And when you're full, because when you are eating in front of a screen, it's so easy to just keep eating and you've lost connection with if you're hungry, if you're full. And so I think we just eat and we're not even, we're mindlessly eating. So really trying to teach them mindful eating, listening to your body, knowing when you're hungry, when you're full, what are you hungry for, making sure you're getting proper nutrition, you're not just eating carbs and sugar, like you're making sure you're getting your vegetables and your fruits and your protein and your fats. And they know way about, know way more about food at their age than I did when I was 25. So (laughs) which, which, which is exactly how we look at our kids is like, what would I have done differently? And how can I help them? And how have you found like, you know, have you, have you heard them talking about food at all? And you, you know, and how does that sound to you now? It's interesting because I I think a big thing I really try to encourage people to do is to replace judgment with curiosity because it's really easy to judge and criticize, but if we can get curious on the why behind the why it's a game changer. So I was just talking with our 12 year old about that because, you know, we just had Halloween over here in the States. And so some of her classmates were bringing a bunch of candy to school. And she told them, I don't think that's the healthiest thing for you to eat. (laughs) I'm sure she was popular after that. (laughs) Yeah. And I appreciate her heart. Like, I think she's coming from a good place, but I, you know, there was some coaching around, what does this look like? How do you, how do you say that? So people don't get mad at you and 
yeah, they're definitely aware and in tune <laughs> with it, which I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, maybe it's too much. <laughs> but but, I, but I, I think that's a really good point. You've got, there's a balance. If you choose, especially early on, especially during the play, I call it the playground days, to go on a different path. Like you, I suppose from a parent's perspective, you've got to let them know that if you choose a different path, then you've also got to be prepared to, frankly, not be as popular. And, yeah. and they experience that a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, my son came home crying the other day because they all had a Thanksgiving celebration and he couldn't eat the pie. Mm. Which is, yeah, which, which, which for him is, the, is an enormous issue. And in his world, you know, my, my daughter's 18 months, you know, the biggest issue, you know, you know, for her, if I'm, if I don't, you know, get home and feed her, you know, her emotional state is, 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 is extremely high and volatile for your son, the same thing, like the fact that they didn't provide an alternative would have really hurt him. He felt left out and forgotten and overlooked and nobody wants to feel that way. But then because of food, like, I think it's a different, there's almost a different level with it. Mm. But it's it's a very difficult balance, isn't it? Because you know, food is about community. It is about sharing, and there's so much good with food. You have you have some yes. of the best conversations in your life about food, but there's also so much, yeah, I suppose, so much negativity about it. And it, it just seems it just seems a shame. But also at the same time, it seems it seems once you've awakened yourself, it does seem quite an an easy fix. And I do wish that uh, that other people would would realize this. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think again, that comes down to that sabotage, like I think so much, one of those top three sabotages is that we want to be accepted and we want to belong. And I think that's what happened with my son is he didn't feel like because he could partake in what they were eating, he felt excluded. And so I just think it's interesting to think about why do we associate food with feeling included? Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's your view on that? I don't know. I, I very much have a love-hate relationship with it because as you said, it can be such a beautiful thing. There's so many things to celebrate and enjoy. And I think it's this very delicate balance of you can, you know, have this really good, satisfying, healthy, nourishing meal and still have really great conversation around it. It's easier, I think, when you have some control over that. But when you go somewhere else or you're at someone else's event and you can't control what you're I think that's where the challenge is yeah and I think that's where the education comes in like as soon as you start to understand and frankly you are looking at a back the back of packets a lot and seeing what's in them and trying to make choices based on what has the lowest sugar content because that's what I'm doing yeah then you start to realize when you do go to events you realize you can frankly make better choices you might see the you know the chocolate fountain and go okay I'm gonna have one because that's all I need, but I'm going to have some fruits some fresh vegetables, whatever it is. And I think a lot of it is about those, you know, in a, in a helping ourselves to, to, to make better food decisions. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to being aware of how foods make you feel and the impact they have on you. Because you get to a point where you're like, it's not worth it. Like, I don't want to feel like crud because I ate too many, you know, pieces of chocolate cake, then, you know, the next day. But but also like looking at the negative side as well, because I suppose the only thing that we can, you know, you know, as people, we, you know, we interact on a, on a physical level, you know, you know, I see you, you see me, and therefore there's judgments made based on physical appearances. And it's very difficult if, 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 if someone walked in the door and they were stereotypically, you know, they, you know, they, they look like they, they were athletic. They look like they were in control of their food. The reality is, is that actually they might be torn between two raging forces of starvation and, and eating too much or too much exercise that it's very difficult to actually, I suppose, like to, to, to get a sense of what is a good decision and what is a bad decision. Yeah. And again, I think it goes back to knowing yourself and your body and what works for you, because a good decision for you might not be a good decision for me. I know a lot of people who can't eat the healthiest foods like kale and quinoa because they just can't take it. Mm. And so I think if you're aware and you know your body enough, that's a game changer. And I certainly think from my, from my perspective, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not the, the biggest fans of kale and quinoa. However, I do know that if you put kale under the grill with a little bit of olive oil, they taste like crisps. Yes. It's delicious. 
yes. And then, and then, for example, when you're having quinoa, knowing that actually quinoa on its own, fair enough, is a bit bland, but you, yes. add, a little, you add a little bit of feta cheese, you add a yes. little bit of sauce that has low sugar in it, you really can make it taste nice. Absolutely. You just have to jazz it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I think, so did you... Prior to this, you said, I assume you were, you, you said you were baking a lot. I assume you were a good cook at the same time. Did your cooking habits, yeah, I was going, well, perhaps not, but did, did your cooking habits change? Like, did you learn how to cook better? Yeah, I think everything changed. And it was so funny because we were just talking a week ago. I'm like, I'm going to try some old recipes because I think what I did was I got so used to like eating a certain way that I was like, we can only have this and this. And so I almost like cornered myself because I didn't know how to make a recipe and kind of give it some healthy upgrades. But I think now I'm far enough along that I know how to do that. So it's been a little bit more fun because it's brought up this creative side of me that I think wasn't really being expressed. Um, so I think if you can learn just some simple swaps, that makes a really big difference. And so I think I have probably become a better cook. I'll ask my family, but. <laughs> <laughs> that is often the judge. Okay, so so okay, so okay, what are those swaps? Yeah, so um, gosh, obviously for us, we don't, we can't do the regular flour. So we do a gluten-free yeah. flour. Mm -hmm. um, I don't use butter. I use coconut oil instead because it's a healthy fat. It's dairy-free. Um, if I'm baking and I do need sugar, I use coconut sugar because it is low glycemic. And so it levelizes your blood sugar. Okay. And I only use half of the recommendation in the recipe because you really don't need that much. Yeah. Um, another good alternative for sweeteners are honey, like local raw honey. That's good for allergies as well. Um, maple syrup is a good one. What else do I do? Sometimes I get really creative and I try to sneak veggies in. Like you can put spinach in smoothies and nobody will know that it's yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a fair point. I once, yep. I once got given a smoothie by my wife and she was, um, she was like, drink this. And I chased it. I was like, tastes like avocado. She was like, yes, I snuck it in. <laughs> but you know what? Quite nice. Yes, absolutely. My latest fad at our house is zucchini brownies. And oh, nice. they passed the taste test with a, another 12 year old child. So I know that I'm onto something with that. <laughs> and I, I think, I think look, when you say when you're baking, if there's one way to put yourself off sugar, it is to bake. Yes. Because I mean, when you make a chocolate cake or you make a brownie, I mean, the quantity of sugar, of, 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 of refined granulated sugar you put in that. Now, if you could imagine taking that sugar, put it into a bowl and eating it with a spoon, most people will be, Ugh. however, it's what you're eating. And I did used to do that when I was so a child, I. I would yeah. eat spoonfuls of sugar. Yeah, it's all like, yeah, it's full of spoons, spoons of sugar and licking the bowl. Licking the bowl has got to be one of the habits I've needed to ban as much as possible, but it still tastes good. But my, it, there's a lot of sugar in that. Yes. <laughs> so, so now, It'd be interesting to understand now. So you've there was there was a you know a holistic journey which focused on your on your diet. What other mental health kind of tips and tools have have helped you? You know, you spoke a lot about a lot about talking therapies at the same time. What other tips that that are, you know and tools that have helped you? A lot. I think identifying triggers has been a big one, um, and I think that requires getting quiet and getting still and slowing down and after you get upset in a situation really stepping back and saying okay what what happened here where did I feel upset where did I feel offended where did I feel hurt and why did I respond that way so I think again that getting curious with your feelings um, is really has really been powerful for me sometimes I'll journal about things um, but I think really Go ahead. I was going to say, are, are these things, like you said, with the triggers, is that something that you did on your own or was that, did, did someone help you with that? I think it was on my own. I think okay. I got to a point where I'm very naturally curious anyway, which drives people bananas sometimes. But if you ask why enough and you start to kind of connect the dots on some things, it's easier to connect the dots on other things. And so I think I just started to connect the dots and say, well, when you, when this happened, I felt this way. And when you said this, I felt this way. And I think feeling safe and vulnerable to express that is really big because not everybody has that safe place. So mm -hmm. I think for me, 
feeling safe enough to acknowledge that I had feelings and I had emotions and it was okay to share them. And did, did, did that period, you know, did the period in which you were starting to kind of explore those, was it welcomed by your friends and family around you? Did you feel, were there, was there any resistance? You know, that's a really good question. I think it depends on who they are. Some people, absolutely, there was resistance. Mm. But others, there wasn't. And I think those have become my safe people. And I know who I can share what with. (laughs) And who I just, there are certain things you can't talk about with people. You just, you know the lines. It's a really good way to, I suppose, yeah, like I said, almost to, to differentiate and categorize your, your, your friendships. And, and, you know, you can have great friendships with people you don't share your mental health with. That's fine. But I think finding those, finding those people you can is, is, is often really, really important. And sometimes those people might not even be great friends, but you just connect over these kind of conversations. Absolutely. And I think that's what's been so interesting with this year is there's so many opinions on so many different things in the world. And really finding people where you can share what you feel regardless without being judged has been really powerful. <laughs> um, I think what, what you mentioned earlier about asking why more, that's something which, which I think is, is fundamentally important and requires time. We, we, you know, we, we live in a fast-paced world where it's often about what this, what that, how that, how that, image, 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 image. But stopping to ask yourself why, if you, if, if you pause, close your eyes and, and ask yourself why, often the answer won't come up immediately. It requires time. It's a, it's a different, that question why is a very, I think it's a very interesting psychological process, a bit like the, you know, the internal questioning that, that, you know, an insight you can gain from that. And I think your approach is amazing. Like just asking why every step of the way until you get to a point where you can't answer, well, where you can at least express the answer to the question clearly, or it reaches a dead end. And you know that perhaps there's another room is fundamentally important. And I think asking why about why's is, is crucial. It is. And it's interesting because I think for me as a child, I would do that a lot. And I think I must've gotten annoying because after a while, you know, I, I think about this with my son, he's very much like me. Mm. And after a while of the questions, you're just like enough already. And yeah. so I really try to to handle him generously and graciously because I want him to continue to ask questions and not shut down. Cause that's what I did as a kid, you get resistance to asking questions and you just shut down. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's good for anybody to stop asking questions. But, but I suppose at the same time, I think from a child's perspective, I mean, I, my, my, my sister was very similar was why, 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 which is, which is awesome. But as a parent as well, you know, often I think I don't know what they call it. I think it's the you know the, the Socratic method of parenting, but basically ask every question that they ask with a question back. Seems to it seems to I, I suppose encourages them to go back inside and say okay, rather than because it can be a it can be a bad habit just asking why and then almost trying to try and you know trying to get the answer from someone else. Often you can figure it out yourself. Yes, and I think that's. Another really big thing is we have given so much of our power away that if we really just step back and ask ourselves what's going on in here and what do we want, we have the answer, we know the answer, but I think we've been misled or or something along the way that we're afraid to tap into our intuition, but it's powerful. (laughs) Mm. I think think misled is a very interesting choice of word and it does seem that we are pulled by currents and tides that we're not necessarily fully in control of um maybe that's you know all the stuff that's where we're growing up eating or being told condition like you know i think that's that, 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 that's a that's a conversation for another day but from from where you are now you know what, what not advice but what you know what, what what would you say to people who were in a similar position to you um um, um in terms of um suffered childhood trauma and 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 how to how to support themselves through that yeah i think that change and healing are possible and i think for me when i opened my mind up to that and realized there was a better way there was a different way this was going to be okay and i was going to figure it out <laughs> one way or another like that gave me a motivation to really go after it. Because I think if you feel stuck, if you feel like nothing is going to change, if you feel miserable, if you feel, I would say I had very much a victim mentality, that's just paralyzing. And if you are in that place, it's harder to go forward and make those changes that need to happen for the transformation and the healing. 
And, and did you find as part of that healing, because obviously growing up yourself and your mum were going on this journey together, did it, if you don't mind me asking, did it involve lots of conversations together? It did. It really did. And there was actually a point where I had to draw some boundaries and say, I need to have some space and I need to figure things out on my own without your voice in my head. <laughs> um, and so I, I had to distance myself for a while and we came back and it was fine and beautiful and um, it all worked out. But I think it, you know, has been an intentionality of having conversations about this is how I feel. This is how I felt from my perception. This is what happened because we all have a different lens in which we see things. And if you can share your lens with someone and get insight about their lens, it it usually makes more sense and you understand their perspective a lot better than just viewing it through your own. And, and I also want to say that I really hope that your mom has found found peace and happiness at the same time because you know going through that journey must it must have been extremely difficult. Absolutely, and I think I realized how difficult it must have been now that I'm a parent and I'm raising kids. I mean, I can't imagine doing it by myself with the, the pressure of the financial strain and just everything she did and she's doing great now so thank you good oh I'm so pleased well Melissa honestly like we have we have gone we have gone from childhood trauma through to um, supplementation holistic uh, uh, yeah um, holistic and whole eating uh, which I'm a huge advocate of um, so honestly all, all I can say is currently thank you so much for your time uh, for the fascinating and insightful conversation well, thank you for having me. It's been great. I feel like we could keep going for hours. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, don't worry. As soon as I press stop, we're going to. <laughs> um, and thank you so much. And thank you so much to everyone listening. You can subscribe to us on most major podcast platforms: YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just search for Psychic Community or Psychic Stories, and we'll pop up. And please do give us a rating if you like the show. Melissa, thanks so much again. Mm -hmm.